Welcome to the Molding Private Practice Show, where we help healthcare practitioners in private practice keep true to their purpose and build a life of mastery by providing the knowledge, skills, and tools to bring their dreams to life. In this episode, we speak to Ingrid Nagir, a clinical psychologist based in South Africa, about her private practice and everything private practice management related. Hey, welcome to today's show on Molding Private Practice. Today, we'll be distorting chatting to Ingrid Nagaya, a clinical psychologist, and we'll be talking about what a clinical psychologist is and how they work. Ingrid, welcome to the show. Thank you, Shaz. It's good to be here. Glad to hear that. Okay, so as you know, molding private practice is really just about helping practitioners and potential practitioners just to really understand what it is to be a practitioner in private practice and how to grow those practices. So. Would, would you be able to give you a little bit more information about what a clinical psychologist is? Mm-hmm. Sure. So a clinical psychologist is somebody that has a master's degree and has been trained in a psychiatric hospital for at least six months. So in South Africa, we have to have at least a master's degree. And then it's more about where you do your internship. Okay. The other thing about clinical psychologists that distinguishes us from the rest of the uh, psychologists is the fact that we have to do community service. So over and above internship, we do community service, which is really that we get placed at a medical hospital and have to do another year on all of the other training. Okay. Okay. So, so when you say... <laughs> sorry, hang over it. So when you say community service, that would be being based somewhere like Tara Hospital or Stagfontein Hospital to specifically look at the clinical side of psychology. Yes. So what clinical psychologists actually concentrate on is assessing, diagnosing, and managing or treating um, disorders in particular, okay, clinical um, um, conditions such as um, schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, for example, um, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, learning difficulties, those kinds of things. Okay. So then what made you decide to become a clinical psychologist? I guess I've always wanted to be in the helping profession. So if I were not going to be a clinical psychologist, I would have probably been a teacher. Um, I've always wanted to make a difference and help. Um, Clinical psychology happened to be, um, well, it wasn't really my choice to be a clinical psychologist. I just wanted to be a psychologist. Um, The university that I attended, I got selected into the clinical program. Um, And that's kind of like how it happened. Okay, cool. Um, So tell me, you know, the university you selected kind of selected you into the clinical psychology program. So From that, I'm assuming clinical psychology then obviously becomes a lot more specialized as opposed to the other branches of psychology because you need to be selected into the program. Am I right? Well, anytime you're going to, anytime you get into a psychology program at master's level, you're actually selected in. So educational psychologists, counseling psychologists, they all have to be selected in. It's quite a stringent program. Um, the difficulty with clinical psychology in particular, because you have to do those six, a minimum of six months to a year in a psychiatric facility, it's very much tied to the academic hospitals because you have to go there in order to be able to fulfill that part um, of the requirements. 
And so it's quite difficult to be able to, to get placements, not because there isn't enough of a need for clinical psychologists, but rather because the placements are so scarce. Okay. All right. So did you have any role models going up that shaped you into wanting to become either a teacher or a counsellor or psychologist? Um, you know, I've had lots of role models over the years. I've always been involved in volunteer work, whether it's been with St. John Ambulance Service um, all the way up to um, um, a youth forum in the area that I grew up in and then also working with Childline. So over the years, I've been exposed to many people that really just wanted to help. And I suppose they were all my role models, different types of people. Um, I guess the other thing would be that I grew up in quite a religious family. And so, you know, being part of a religious um, um, community means that there's always, you know, outreach work and helping others. So lots of role models, no one in particular that would have inspired me to be a clinical psychologist, except when I get to university level. And then I had a particular supervisor who was just absolutely amazing. Um, and I wanted to be just like her when I grew up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically your childhood and the environment you grew up in and so shaped the need and the want to be able to help others. And once you kind of got to university, there was someone that stood out and kind of you went, okay, that, that's that's who I want to be. That's absolutely phenomenal. So you're you're in private practice. How long have you been in private practice for as a clinic? psych? Goodness me. So 2004, that would be 17 years in private practice. Yes. Okay, so that's a long stretch. So mm-hmm. in 2004, when you started out, what were some of the challenges that you faced making that decision to go from, you know, I'm working for a practice to I'm stepping out and I'm going to start working for myself? So um, before going into private practice, I was actually um, employed by Tara Hospital. So I worked in a multidisciplinary team. I had, you know, um, lots of support around me from the psychiatric nurses to a medical doctor and an occupational therapist and a psychiatrist. You know, there was just absolutely an amazing um, team of people. So going into private practice initially was very, very scary to go from such a um, supportive environment to out on your own in the cold. So yes, it took a lot to, and lots of courage in order to be able to step out of that. You know, the wonderful thing in terms of working in a um, psychiatric facility like Tara Hospital is that because it's an academic hospital, there's always a great deal of teaching and, you know, mentoring through the process in terms of actually becoming, uh, you know, more confident in that. I think the thing that made me want to go into private practice is most certainly wanting to um, pick the type of people that I wanted to work with. At Tara Hospital, I worked predominantly with adolescents and eating disordered patients. Um, I decided a long time ago that I wanted to focus on young adults all the way up to older adults. Um, and, and I felt that that was where, you know, I could make the most amount of um, difference and what the, the, uh, the people that I, were, uh, I was incredibly passionate about. Mm. So it was almost as if um, 
the experience at Tara Hospital and community service definitely, you know, edged me forward in terms of wanting autonomy and independence. Um, and I do believe that, you know, it was also a phase of life where I was looking at getting married and having my own family and that kind of stuff where it it required a little bit more of my, you know, my time to belong to, to me. Okay, so a big challenge, always big and scary when you're kind of moving out on your own. So sure. once you've now decided that you're moving out on your own, you've got that little bit more autonomy, you're, you're now in control of your, your time, your hours. Was there any other challenges that kind of came up with, the, with you setting out the practice that you kind of look back on and go, you know what, <laughs> this used to be done for me. How do I get through this? Okay, so working in psychiatric hospital means that you don't work as a private practitioner at all. You know, um, you don't have to bowl. You don't have to have a, you know, you don't have to have a practice number. You don't need to know anything about medical aids because, you know, there's a whole department that does that kind of stuff. All you have to do is show up, do your clinical work, do the best that you can, and you move on to the next patient. Private practice was something else. My goodness. Um, I'm not quite sure I would have survived if I didn't have an amazing supervisor at the time who helped me through quite a lot of that stuff. I would say the first challenge was, you know, once you make the decision to move into private practice, where do you practice from? Which area do you want to be in geographically? I mean, um, what do you want to focus on? Who, you know, what are your areas of interest? You know, there are just so many questions you have to ask yourself and, um, yeah, it, it it was a lot. It was overwhelming to, to begin with. Yes. It's like jumping into the deep end of basically figuring yeah. your way out and along the way, hoping that there's a mentor or a supervisor or a coach yes. that can kind of guide you and go, you know, maybe you should phone these people or, you know, have you looked at registering with medical aids? I can only imagine how scary that must have been in the very, very beginning. Mm. So can you tell me a little bit more about what a clinical psychologist actually does and how you, you know, as from a clinical psychology point of view, you help your patients? Sure. Um, so predominantly psychologists offer the talking method. So what we provide for people is a safe space that they can talk through their issues and th uh, talk through their difficulties we offer a little bit of guidance, uh, but more importantly, what we offer is objectivity. So that's the difference between a clinical psychologist and let's say, for example, a good friend. Yes, your good friend is going to listen to you. Objectivity may be questionable because your friend has um, an emotional relationship with you. So uh, being on the outside with the, 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 your client or your patient's best interest at heart is what we offer. It's a safe space to explore what the difficulties are and provide support during that time. Okay. Um, so when would somebody generally reach out to a clinical psychologist? And what would you be able to recommend to somebody looking to reach out? You know, where would they start to look? I think most often than not, when people get to me, they have exhausted all other opportunities and options. I'm talking about, okay, they've tried the self-help books and then they can't understand why the self-help books are actually not helping. Um, 
So yes, they grasp the concepts, but how do you then apply it to your life? And why is it just not working in terms of a cut and paste? Um, the other reason that people would reach out is, for example, they just feel completely overwhelmed and they don't, really don't know where to begin. They know they're unhappy about something or they're feeling very uncomfortable, but they're not quite sure where to begin. And then on the other hand, you get people that come in specifically for a, a, a reason. So they, they're very clear about why they come into the space initially. Um, it may be because they are dealing with um, a, a specific difficulty that requires objectivity and they feel like they don't want to burden other people in their lives by offloading all of this, this stuff onto them. Um, what kind of advice would I give? I think that it's so important for you to be able to develop a relationship with your therapist or with your psychologist. So the most important thing for me anyway is the fact that you feel comfortable with this person and you feel as though this person is going to have your best interest at heart and everything that they do going forward then would be with the intention of making sure that, you know, they have your best interest at heart. So being comfortable is, is 100%, you know, one of the first um, things that you're looking for. Um, it should actually be somebody who's close by, not somebody who is, you know, a mission to get to. So it, it makes it difficult to get to therapy if you have to, you know, um, drive a huge distance or it is inconvenient from the point of view um, that, you know, it's outside of your, your, um, your realm of um, control in terms of it can't fit into or outside of your working hours. So the person needs to be accessible to you from a distance point of view and from a time perspective. It needs to be somebody that you can build a, a strong, secure relationship with that's based on trust and respect. I love that you say it's about building a strong, secure relationship because from my understanding, psychotherapy is also a journey. You know, people mm. might arrive, as you say, some clients know exactly what they're looking for and others are kind of there because they're not sure what's going on. So, you know, being able to work with somebody on this journey to help them means that, yeah, comfort, location, accessibility are really important from mm -hmm. both the therapist's point of view as well as the patient so that, you know, you know that you can do the best that you possibly can for your patient when they knock on the door and say, okay, look, I oh. need some help. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me what would make be the most fundamental difference between somebody being in a slightly overwhelming space or a little bit depressed or anxious or just really not sure, what would be the difference between seeking assistance from someone like a registered counsellor or a social worker as opposed to seeking the assistance of a clinical psychologist? Look, I think that each practitioner has their own space in this, in this particular environment in terms of helping. But for example, a social worker comes in with very practical um, skill sets that you know a clinical psychologist is going to listen and provide a, a supportive environment but not necessarily going to be directive in terms of how you should handle a situation you know it's a talking space it's a, a space to explore stuff um, registered counselors are amazing in terms of being able to do that first consult but unfortunately registered counselors cannot deal with anybody that has a disorder so it's about the scope of practice. 
Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the social worker would have, you know, an amazing network of different services that you could access that perhaps psychologists are not as um, um, familiar with. Okay, so it, it is going to come down to, like you say, scope of practice, what the actual scenarios could be. So a person could wind up going to see a registered counsellor who would then ultimately have to say to them, you know, I would, I'm going to recommend or refer you to a clinical psychologist because that is more your area, you know, their area of expertise. I can help you from a guidance point of view, but they're going to be the ones who would ultimately be able to assist, mm. you know, further. And, and I, I do think that I should make this point of distinction. Psychologists, is, you know, they're not catch all. Um, so, it, you know, they can't absolutely treat anything and everything. For example, you know, if somebody comes in with a learning difficulty in, into my practice, um, because I'm not an educational psychologist and I haven't worked in that setting, yes, I could administer the tests and do an assessment, but I would rather refer to a colleague like an educational psychologist because I feel as though their training equips them to help their, this particular person with a learning difficulty. So, you know, I think that we all have different areas um, that we, we, we operate in. And because of that scope of practice and our expertise and experiences, you know, we then tend to refer to whomever is the most appropriate. So basically, it's a network of practitioners that can assist with mental health issues. And you're exactly right. You know, you might not be equipped to help somebody from an education, educational psychologist point of view, but on the same hand, an educational psychologist might not be able to assist a person who might be schizophrenic or severely depressed. That would lean more to the clinical psychology realm of things. Okay, mm. so, you know, Despite the fact that everybody's kind of classified as a psychologist, I think the important thing is that there are divisions and each one of those divisions is specialized in different areas where they can assist people. And I'm assuming by that sometimes you would actually work in conjunction with a colleague helping a patient or is that not something that would happen in clinical psychology? Uh, no, absolutely. We tend to work, well, I do anyway, I tend to work with a whole host of different people. So there might be a medical doctor, they might be a psychiatrist, they might be a physiotherapist. So anything that's out of my scope of practice, I refer out. Um, if, for example, um, one of my adolescents wants to have, um, let's say, a, a full psychoeducational assessment done um, because they need to apply for concession, for example, with matric exams, I would refer out. The assessment would be done by somebody else. I may continue with the therapeutic uh, um, alliance and, and do the supportive therapy, but the assessment will be done by somebody else. So we do tend to work um, in conjunction with um, different practitioners. Absolutely. Is there anything else important around what a clinical psychologist is that you would be able to offer to somebody who's considering going into the psychology field? Mm. So I think clinical psychology, I mean, each, each practitioner is going to tell you about what's amazing about their field, right? Um, I do think that what's amazing about clinical psychology is that you get a vast amount of experience in different areas. 
So working in a psychiatric facility for me was second to none um, in terms of how much I learned. And that's different psychiatric hospitals, not just Tara Hospital. Um, so if that is your passion and you, 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 know, you want to help pe- people that have specifically um, you know, severe mental illness, absolutely go for it. Um, I do think that you have to work on resilience um, because it does require you to to make sure that you are well and that you are able to take care of yourself so that you can take care of your your patients um, and and keep that balance. Um, But the the most important thing about clinical psychology is that you have to be passionate about this work. You really do have to be passionate about this work. Yeah, look, every every practitioner I've spoken to so far, you know, irrespective of the field, has heard exactly the same. It's a it's a passion. It's a calling to help, and that calling could be different ways of helping, but it's a calling and it's a passion. So, if anybody is passionate about becoming a psychologist and helping people, you know, take the step. Make the, there can be no greater reward than helping people out. So if I was a young practitioner coming out of community service and, you know, looking to start my own practice, what advice would you be able to give me? The first thing that I would suggest is that you need to find you a supervisor that's going to help you for the next three years while you are a junior psychologist. The second thing that I would say is um, it's really important to be able to set up an ethical practice. And a lot of the time when you're a new practitioner, you know, we learn about this, the ethical guidelines of how to run practice the right way. But, you know, it takes a, a while to be able to, to filter that back into experience and being able to live that space. And that's where your psychologist, you know, a supervisor helps so much because you've got an overview. Um, they've got an overview on the way that you're setting up your private practice. Um, for me personally, the administration aspect and and the billing aspect of um, and, and and running the business, um, that part of of the practice was just a drag. Okay, so I outsource it as quickly as I could in order to be able to free me up to do the clinical work. Um, so finding a support structure around yourself, um, not just from a, a supervisory perspective, but also. Um, a network of um, colleagues that are working in a similar field to you um, is always a good idea. And, you know, just being able to, to find what you need in order to be able to sustain your practice in the way that you would like it to be. So self-care is quite important, looking after yourself, making sure that you're not working too hard, you're not, you're not applying um, <laughs> too much of energy um, that's not giving you the fulfillment that you need. Um, if you do work in a, at a facility as well as run private practice, making sure that you have time to rest because clinical work is draining and you do need to be able to sustain yourself. Um, and, and just having colleagues that you can refer out to makes a huge difference. You know, unfortunately, private practice is quite insular. It, it, it makes you feel like you're all on your own. So having a network of people that you can refer to that sometimes you can pick up the phone and say, you know, you know can, I, can I bounce an idea off you? Or do you have an idea of 
you know, a psychiatrist working in this particular area, for example, or mm, do you have a life coach that specializes in leadership, for example, um, you know, that you refer to, you know, being able to have colleagues that you can bounce ideas like that off um, um, is amazing, you know, because otherwise you feel like you're working in isolation. So, yeah. Okay. So Ingrid, if a young practitioner wa wanted to reach out or get a hold of you to just kind of chat to you a little bit more about opening a practice or about mm -hmm. becoming a clinical psychologist, how would they contact you? Um, on my website, they can make an appointment to have a, look, have a, a meeting with me. Um, I have, I do have my contact details available on my website and it is Ingrid Nagyad. Um, Ingrid, uh, sorry, it's ingridnagia.com, www.ingridnagia.com. Um, or they can call my office um, to so that we can set up some time. Um, yeah. Perfect. I'll include all of your contact information at the end of this video. My as email well. address, please. Yes, I will include your email address okay. and your contact info so that people can reach out and just chat to you about what your ideas and your experience in starting a private practice are you know, help them along their way. It has been lovely chatting to you about clinical psychology and clinical psychology in private practice. And I look forward to chatting to you again soon in the future. Fantastic. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Absolute guys. pleasure. Thank you, Ingrid. <laughs> okay, bye. bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. As always, stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode.